Okay, we'll get started. So this is the 142nd installment of, uh, from the Dayan's desk. So we're doing the Baruch Hashem very well so far this year. I think this is our 20th uh, year of this, this season, of this particular Zman. Last year we did a total of, I think, 24. So uh, we're uh, in good shape, uh, hopefully, to match that and maybe uh, to surpass that. And uh, always a pleasure. Tonight, so tonight's topic is Ani Mahabik Bechorah. A literally, it's a case of a poor person who is uh, turning uh, over a dough on a stove in order to make uh, a cookie, uh, a nice little pastry. Then there's somebody else uh, comes along and uh, decides that they're going to take it away because the Ani never really made a, a kinyan on it, and we say it's not a nice thing to do. If uh, you have uh, such a situation, the second person who runs away with this uh, pastry, with this cookie, is considered to be a Russia. And uh, this has ramifications you know, with respect to halacha. It's brought in the context of not interfering with somebody else's business deal. You have uh, two people who are about to uh, consummate, complete a business deal. The third person is not supposed to run along and interfere with the deal and take away the deal for himself or for herself under normal circumstances. Uh, and uh, there's a question, what exactly is the full-fledged application of this principle uh, when it comes to different types of situations? I wanted to discuss uh, tonight three specific different types of uh, situations where this principle of Aniha Mahapik Bukharara is uh, applicable. One is a situation of a shidduch. There are two people who are dating, uh, a young man, a young woman, an old man, an old woman, doesn't matter. Uh, and uh, some uh, third party comes along and says, hey, Ruben is about to, to grab this girl. I, I want her for, for myself. And uh, somehow entices her to marry him. So was that, was that the wrong thing uh, for Shimon to take away uh, the, uh, the, the prospective kala? Uh, from uh, Ruvain uh, shortly before Ruvain was going to get engaged to her. What, what if Ruvain was already engaged to her? Uh, so uh, those are you know, some of the questions uh, that arise. So Shuba by Rav Moshe Feinstein on the subject and by a number, by some other postkim as well discussed that. The second situation is, as we mentioned, some sort of a regular business transaction, a real estate transaction, something of that sort. It comes up more often than you realize and sometimes... It's a little bit dubious. It's a little bit dubious in the perspective of uh, the, uh, the, the the purchaser who's negotiating from, the, from some would-be purchaser who is interested, let's say, in the property, and from the seller. At one point in time, do you say that the uh, that the negotiations have come to a close? You stop by a property, and there's a for sale sign that's up on the property, but you know that the seller and Ruvain uh, reached an agreement in principle, and it's just a question of drawing up the contract. Uh, but the for sale side is still on the property. So does that mean that you, it's okay to go to the seller and make the seller a better offer if you're really interested in the property, even though you know that the seller uh, really has come to terms with Ruben. Ruben made an offer and the seller said, deal. Uh, but it's not actually a deal until the contract is uh, drawn up. So if you're the seller, do you have the right to countenance a, a better offer? If you're there's somebody who's really interested in the property, do you have the right to, to render another offer? Uh, that's uh, a common, commonplace uh, sort of situation nowadays, and we sometimes get shyless about it, and sometimes there are serious claims when there's a feeling that there's somebody that breached uh, an agreement that was, uh, already, that was already in place. And then a third type of situation is interference with an employment situation, that uh, you're very interested in a particular job, but somebody else, uh, somebody else already has the job. Uh, so you go over to uh, the employer and you say, what are you employing the, this uh, the rinky-dink fellow uh, who can't do the job nearly as well as I can? Hire me instead. I'll be a much better employee. So that's uh, clearly uh, interfering with uh, somebody's employment contract. Is that ever permissible? Do we draw a distinction between if a deal has already been made, a contract was already signed, and uh, where uh, there is just a clear, there's a negotiation. Negotiation, if you leave it alone, is probably going to proceed to an employment contract, but if you announce your interest in the job, uh, so maybe the job will go to you instead. So those are the three situations I wanted to discuss. There's a basic focus, starting off the bat, with respect to this principle of Aniyah Mahapich B'chorah, basic machlokis between Rashi on the one hand and Rabbeinu Tam on the other hand. Both opinions of Rashi and Rabbeinu Tam are quoted by the Shulchan Aruch in Simon Reish Lam and Zayin Choshimishpah, which is where uh, the halacha uh, appears. Uh, and that is, uh, do we say 
that it's only impermissible, like the Gemara indicated, that uh, if you have an Ani Hamahapich, the Pacharara, and uh, somebody else uh, comes along and uh, takes it and takes it away, uh, so the second person is Nikra, is Nikra Rasha, Ani Mahapik Pacharara, Uba Achim and Atlahimenu, says the Gemara Kedushin, the Avnan Testament Aleph, the second person is called, uh, is called the Rasha. Uh, so is that only in a situation where uh, it's uh, essentially a, a sale, a purchase of a, of a property? That's the case that, that the Gemara Kedushin is talking about. Gemara Kedushin talks about uh, an interesting case of Gidl, who was interested in buying a certain property from the seller. And Rabbi Abba came along and, and, and uh, jumped uh, ahead of him and bought the property from the seller before Rav Gidl had a chance. Rav Gidl complained, and eventually Rav Yitzchak Napcha heard the case, and he said to Rav, he said to Rabbi Abba, who purchased the property, what were you thinking? What do you, what's the halacha when you have an Ani Mahapik Becharara, and then somebody else comes along and takes the cookie? So he says, Nikra Rasha. He said, well, the second person is called the Rasha. So he said, well, how come you acted like a Rasha? He said, ooh, I didn't know, said Rabbi Abba. I didn't know that Rabbi Gidl was interested in this property. Rabbi Yadana, I had no idea. So then Rabbi Yitzchak Nafcha said, well, so then why don't you give the property uh, back to Rabbi Gidl? You, you acquired the property, sell it to Rabbi Gidl. So he said, no, I can't do that. It's like you get a dollar bill from the Lubavitcher Rebbe. So you don't want to part from that uh, good luck charm the rest of your life. So this was his first property that he purchased, and it used to be sort of a good luck symbol that you don't sell your first property. Nowadays, we don't have any such notion, but it used to be such an idea that you don't part with your first property. So he said, but that's only, it's not a good sign to sell your property. If you're going to give it out to somebody as an act of largesse, of generosity, that's okay. So Rabbi Abba said, I'm willing to give it to Rabbi Gidl as a matana. I'll give it to him as a matana. So Rabbi Gidl said, nothing doing. I'll pay you for the property, but I don't want it as a matana. So ne matanas That Those who hate gifts are going to live. I'm not interested in a gift. So therefore Rabbi Abba said, I'm not going into this property because I violated. I took a property that Rabbi Gidl was in the process of negotiating for. And Rabbi Gidl said, I don't want the property because I only want to buy it. I don't want a gift. So therefore the property sat vacant. Um, but Gidl didn't go into the property because he didn't want a gift. Rabbi Abba didn't want to go into the property because he felt that he obtained it improperly. It was called the land of the rabbis. Because that's the way the rabbis uh, conduct themselves with a high level of moral integrity. Neither one uh, wanted to, uh, to diminish their integrity in terms of uh, taking hold of the property. But that clearly was a real estate transaction. That was a real estate transaction. And then the question is, but what if it's not a real estate transaction? A real estate transaction, you could say to Rabbi Abba, listen, why buy this property? You could buy a different property. There are other properties that are on the market. There are always properties that are being sold, purchased. That's uh, the way of the market. Uh, However, let's say it was a mitzia. It was uh, some uh, diamond... uh, 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 some, Some diamond... A jewel uh, that was uh, lying in the middle of the street, and uh, it's a one-time, op- a lifetime, op- uh, one-time in a lifetime opportunity uh, to grab a hold of this uh, of this precious jewel. You're not necessarily going to find another one that just uh, is lying in the middle of the street without uh, any uh, simanim, and uh, there's nobody who's going to claim it. And you'll be able to get a windfall. You'll be able to get a, a tremendous uh, fortune just like that. You can't expect the diamonds to drop from the sky every day. Um, so, and you see, Shimon sees that Reuben is running towards the diamond. He says, I can run faster. I can run faster. I can run faster than Shimon. So Reuben uh, overtakes uh, Shimon and grabs the diamond for himself. Um, so is that considered to be a prohibition as well? We don't have the same svara to say, oh, why are you preventing, uh, why are you preventing Shimon from being able to get a hold of uh, this, uh, this diamond, you can get it uh, yourself somewhere else. No, you can't get it somewhere else yourself. You're not going to have a Metziah opportunity to just be able to grab a lying in the street. There won't be the same opportunity necessarily ever again. So do we apply this principle or not? So Rashi says, we apply the principle even to a Metziah situation. It says, Rashi in Kedushan, the Avnon Testament, Aleph, what's Ani Mahapik Bechavara? That's if I have an Ani, a poor person, Mechazer, Acharer, Lezakis, Bomin, Ahefker, it doesn't have a normal opportunity to, to even buy property, but here there's a property that's just lying in the uh, in the Hefker area uh, where you'd be able to just uh, grab a, a, a precious diamond. 
or if somebody is giving away their assets for free, and uh, this person has uh, the opportunity to, to take uh, something which is very valuable uh, from a person who's just giving away uh, valuable items. So says Rashi, that's only a mapic It doesn't have to be a sale transaction. And Tosos quotes of Abbe Natam as uh, very clearly uh, disagreeing from based on the Gemara and Baba Mitzia. Gemara and Baba Mitzia, Daf Yunam and Aleph, talks about when somebody finds a lost object. Oh, uh, Taliso that a person sees the Metsia and uh, they uh, and, and they put their talus over it, but that's not considered to be a Kenyan. They fall on it, but that's not considered to be a Kenyan, right? Uh, it's like uh, you try to get uh, recover a fumble. So you fall on the, on the fumble, it's not good enough, you have to take it in your hands and you have to have both possessions. The person just falls on it, because that's not, that's not good enough. The referee is not going to declare that the, the ball is in your possession. And somebody else comes and grabs it, so then it belongs to the other individual. So we see in that case, that's considered to be uh, perfectly, it's considered, considered to be perfectly fine. Uh, so, uh, similarly, uh, there's uh, the Gemara, uh, that is, uh, the Gemara there quotes, Mishalike Mitzah you have a poor person who collects a part of the, the payer, the crops that were left aside for poor people. And even if he spreads his talus over it, that's not considered to be possession. Because somebody, he didn't grab it in his hand. Somebody else can grab it and take it. Ah, isn't that a problem? Uh, so the answer is that, says Rabbein Otam, we get a top of page two in uh, the, the source sheets. No, the Ma'apich is only, Shayat is only applicable that's only if the person is the only this other the first individual is looking to strike a deal that they're going to pay money for they're going to rent something or they're going to buy something then somebody else comes along and pays the price and takes it for themselves so that's similar to the case of Idumia Durav Gidol. And why, and the person's called, the first, second person is called a Rasha, Shemachi Kaman Nikra Rasha, Kilam Machazo Zo Shetarak Bachavero. Because why should the second person grow, grab this opportunity when the first person already invested in it, invested his efforts into it, and the second person could buy something else or rent something else? Yelech be, Yelech, be stock here, Bemakamacher, Abam Haisa, Harare, the Hefker. But if it's just a, a, a cookie, that's a, a Hefker cookie that's uh, lying around on the Hefka shelf, so then it's every man for himself. Leke Isser. So then there'd be no prohibition to run in front of the other guy. Because if you don't find this opportunity, you're not going to find a different opportunity. So therefore, it says Rebbeinu Tam, it's not applicable in this type of situation. What's the, if in a situation of a mitziah, uh, where there, uh, of a one-time opportunity, where you're not necessarily going to have access to this opportunity ever again. And it's a question, how do we pass him? Yes. Why should it matter whether you have an opportunity to do this again or not? What does that have to do with the halacha and the, the moral principle? So the moral principle in question is that you're not supposed to uh, unfairly um, deprive somebody of an opportunity that they're in the midst of um, if you're not going to lose anything as a result. But otherwise, if you're going to lose something, so we say that why should you lose out yourself when this person hasn't actually acquired possession yet? If the person made a Kenyan, that's why we have Kenyanim. Okay. Um, but here the person didn't make a Kenyan. Going back to your first case. They made a Kenyan, it's a different story. Sure. Tosos goes on to say that if the person is investing some efforts in something that they do for a living, so you're not supposed to deprive somebody of their panosos. So he does have certain exceptions to the rule. But assuming that's not what we're talking about, so says Tosos that, that the rule wouldn't apply in this particular case. Yes. And again, in the first case, if he didn't know somebody else was interested, how can he be held... Responsible. Ah, so that's a good question, and uh, that's uh, a. Uh, How can you ever buy anything? Uh, that that's a shiloh. But the, the answer is that, that you have no, uh, you have no responsibility uh, to assume that somebody else was uh, was interested. You're supposed to do your due uh, diligence. Uh, but if you do your due diligence and you don't discover that somebody was interested, so uh, okay, you had the right to, to go along and do your thing. But nonetheless, as far as the basic principle is concerned. Uh, that we don't want to deprive somebody of an opportunity when they already invested in it and you have a similar opportunity. So we say that uh, the halacha uh, is uh, based on uh, sort of uh, this idea according to the Mordechai. The Mordechai says the halacha is based on Vesisa Hayash HaVeyatov. Vesisa Hayash HaVeyatov is sort of a broad-based principle in the Torah that you're always supposed to act in a fashion of, uh, um, uh, of equity and fairness and uh, thoughtfulness, kindness towards others. Uh, so uh, kindness towards others does not depend necessarily 
on that I intentionally uh, did something uh, evil or nasty to somebody. If it turns out I stepped on somebody's toes, even without realizing I stepped on their toes, you know what you're supposed to say. You're supposed to say, I'm sorry. Now, there's a question, do you then have an obligation to give the property to the person? From the Gemara and Kiddushin, there are two different views. One view says, well, Rabbi Yitzchak Nafcha said to Rabbi, uh, said to Rabbi Abba, he said, Now that you know that Rabbi Gidl was interested, get the property back to him. Uh, on the other hand, if uh, it was really an obligation for him to return the property back to him, so presumably Rabbi Abba would not have hesitated or decided not to do so based on the argument of it's not a good luck charm to give it back or to sell it back. If he had an obligation to do so, so then he would have then he would have done so. He would have just sold it back because the, the whole thing was basically a mechaktos to begin with. So therefore, most postkim are of the assumption it's not an obligation to sell it to the first person. Um, if you can avoid uh, buying in the first place, you should have, but it's not an actual obligation. It's only a midas chasidus to return it to, to, uh, to return it to the first person. Uh, but Moshe Feinstein learns otherwise. But Moshe Feinstein assumes no, that uh, the, the simple explanation, uh, the simple reading of the Gemara is that uh, that you have an obligation to disgorge what you uh, to what you took and that the first person was interested in. Yes? But it's only a moral principle. There's no obligation. I mean, Sometimes, though, but so the Mordechai compares this to the case of Bar Metzvah. Bar-Metzra also is also based on a moral imperative, a moral principle, right? That if I sell property, I should sell it to my neighbor if my neighbor is interested in the property and having two properties that abut each other. So even if I didn't know my neighbor was interested and I sold it to one other guy, then the neighbor comes along and says, I really was interested. So then the, the fellow who bought it is supposed to turn it over to well, the neighbor you know, and he's still going to pay the price. But even if it didn't, so, so, so therefore he says it's based on that principle. If I learn that it's based on the principle of Isisa Yashaveto, so I understand it very well. Others say, no, it's just a Takana. It's just a takana. So if I understand that, that basically this is uh, just a principle of a uh, of a takana, so I don't necessarily uh, based so on this takana sabbatan require it to be the given back to the to, to the first person. So why is saying just mikra rasha? If you say that it's, it's either valid or invalid. I'm sorry. Mikra rasha sounds like it's exclusively a moral principle. That's what most of the poskim assume. Most of the poskim assume that it's not that it's a midas chasidus. Uh, to give it back, but there's no actual obligation. The Piskei Tshuva in source nine quotes Rabbeinu Tam. Rabbeinu Tam uh, says that Komakom Shemuk Hakham Ninik Rosha Mekayven Osel Haksar Mekach. Rabbeinu Tam says Rosha is considered to be a, a serious enough charge that we actually would say you don't want you, you so don't want to be called the Rosha. Look at the Sman source eight. The Sman Simon Reishlam and Zion says. You know what we do for somebody who's called the Russia? That's like if the Chicago Rabbinical Council issues a serif against somebody and says they're not complying with the Bethesda and they're a bad person. Ooh. So you know what's going to happen then? We're going to announce in all the shows and put up on all the bulletin boards that this person is not behaving properly, is not following the Bethesda. That's something you really don't want, right? Listen to your local Bethesda. We're going to make, we're going to publicize in all the shows. This person did a wicked act. Ooh, nobody wants to be considered to be wicked. So it says for Tam. Yeah, absolutely. If a person is called wicked, that means that they better return uh, their ill-gotten goods. They better. But uh, the Ritva disagrees. The Ritva and the Ramban, they both disagree, and they disagree based on this Gemara by Rav Gindel because it doesn't seem like at the end of the day Rav Yisluch really required that the property absolutely be given back. And that's what he quotes in the Nemuka Yosef over here. Uh, that that we don't require the property to be returned, and if you and if you are not satisfied with an Amuka Yosef or Ritva and and a and a Ramban, so he throws in a Maharshal who says the same thing, and he says, I don't understand how Rabbeinu Tam could have said such a thing. How could Rabbeinu Tam, who was such a big Tamachacham, the Torah would have been forgotten if not for the wonderful pupil of Rabbeinu Tam. You know, so he's, he's building him up so that he can disagree with him. I don't understand how he can say such a thing. It's obviously incorrect. Um, and the same thing, the Shuvah of the Masay said and the, uh, and the Chemdas, uh, the Chemdas, the Chemdas Shlomo. Uh, so he quotes a long, long litany of Poskim who disagree with Rabbeinu Tam. Despite that very, very long litany of Poskim, it happens that uh, Moshe seems to side with him, which is uh, sort of sort of curious without necessarily going into this whole discussion. Question, yes? Why did Chazal see that it was more important to side with the 
first buyer as opposed to the seller. I mean, just in the basic case, before the dealer bought the property, you know, the seller has an opportunity to sell it for, he wants to get as much money as he can, somebody offers 100, he thinks that's a good number, and then someone offers 110, he can't take the 110. It's very good. Who says, who says, it's an excellent question. Truly excellent question. It gets to sort of the second scenario that I wanted to discuss, but we don't necessarily have to go completely in order. But the Abba, uh, we don't necessarily find offered more money, right? Rabbi Abba may have just offered whatever was the market price. Maybe, if the second person is coming along and, and, and offering more money, maybe it's a different story. But maybe it also depends upon whether a deal was consummated. It could be that the seller said to the first person, I don't really like your offer. I would like more money, or let's continue to negotiate. So there's the opinion of the Prisha. The opinion of the Prisha, the Prisha happened to be the same person as the Sma. Okay, the same person as the Sma. He just called himself Prisha in one place and Sma in the other place. The same person. So the Prisha, which is his commentary on the tour, the Prisha, he says that even if I didn't have a meeting of the minds yet, he just had a negotiation, but between Mubin and the seller, okay? Um, but if Shimon would have left things alone, eventually Mubin and the seller would have reached a, a final conclusion and they would have, uh, they would have reached a deal. Uh, they're, they're negotiating, uh, moving, saying, I'll give this much, and sells by saying, I want more. And eventually, they'll come around, somebody will offer 50%, and then they'll split the 50%, and they'll settle on 75%. Whatever it is, eventually, they're going to close the deal. So then, says the priest, even if they're in the midst of bargaining, it's not right for Shimon to insert himself into the situation, because if he left the situation alone, eventually it would reach a conclusion, and the deal would be concluded. That's what the, the priest says. The Mordechai says uh, differently. Uh, the Mordechai in this uh, source uh, that I quoted, um, that I printed for you uh, in uh, source 12, the top of uh, page 3, uh, says uh, that it's not considered to be Mahapek B'Karoah. This is about five lines then. It's only when they strike a deal. It's like I remember when uh, we purchased our house in Riverdale. When we lived in New York, so I went, I had a limited amount of, of money, I was going to try to buy an apartment in Manhattan, we lived on the Upper West Side at the time, and we got priced out because I offered whatever was the asking price for an apartment in my building, and then somebody else offered $20,000 more. It's okay, the seller hadn't accepted my offer, so it wasn't a problem with Ani happy. I didn't even know if the second person was Jewish altogether, or whatever. But then, with the same amount of money that I offered in that apartment, so I offered the, the same amount for a, a house, that was in sale, uh, was for sale in Riverdale. It was like the last house on the block. It was this wonderful location. Uh, nobody else wanted the house, apparently, because it was a recording studio. So they didn't want to live in a recording studio with equipment and wires all over the place. And I figured, well, when the seller moves out, he'll take his wires and equipment with him and it'll be a nice house, which was correct. But you know, not everybody had that thought process for whatever reason. So I made the, the offer, and Baruch Hashem, uh, the seller uh, accepted, and we had a deal. And then he sent me a contract to look at, and my father-in-law is a, a lawyer, so he looked at the contract, and he's a thorough, good lawyer, Yale graduate himself, and he's looking at the lawyer, the, the contract, and saying, oh, you should change this, change that, change the other thing, and I'm uh, just following my father, my, my schwer. So I go to, to the, the seller, I say, he wants this change and that change. He said, this is a standard real estate contract, I'm not selling it, I'm not changing anything. And at a certain point in time, uh, we're so excited that we're buying this house. He said, listen, are you signing the contract? Not signing the contract. Because I've taken the for sale sign off of the, the property and I'm assuming them going together with you. But, you know, we don't actually have a signed contract. I realized, oh, you know, he's 100% right. So we better sign the contract. So we signed the contract. And Baruch Hashem, uh, we lived in the house happily ever after. But at the... Um, uh, the Mordechai says that technically speaking, until you actually have a, a deal on the table, uh, there would be uh, uh, no problem running a mafik for In that particular case, according to the Mordechai, was there a deal? Was there not a deal? There was a deal. Because we basically had reached an agreement. At a certain point in time, the seller said, I'm not sure that we have a deal if you don't sign the contract. So I realized I'd better sign the contract. Um, that's what we took care of. But if somebody would have come along during that period of time and said, look, they didn't sign the contract yet, um, so uh, I think this person is hacking you a China, uh, not signing the contract, and I want to buy the property instead. It would have been valid as a legal matter for the seller to go to somebody else, but probably, according to the Mordecai, would have been a violation of Aniyamahapik Bukharava until such point in time as the seller himself would put the for sale sign back on the property and say, I don't think I have a deal. 
with a person that I thought I had to deal with. So says the Mordechai, there has to be an actual meaning of the mind. So they have to say that there's a deal. And the only thing that's missing at that point in time is Raka Kenyan. Only the actual signing of the contract, whatever's going to constitute the Kenyan, is, is missing at that point in time. So says the Mordechai, if somebody else comes along and buys it, either for the same price, that, that, that we understand. But, says the Mordechai, and this is important, even if he adds money, even if he raises the price, he's still considered to be a Russia. Isn't that interesting? Even if he raises the price, and I think what he's saying is, because the seller was satisfied with whatever price was offered, the seller was satisfied, so therefore this other person who insinuates himself is going to be considered to be a Russia. But if the Mokhar hasn't agreed to a price and they're still negotiating, and somebody else comes into the negotiations, then in such a case, your point exactly, if somebody else would then come along and interrupt the, uh, the, tra- the transaction and uh, um, insinuate himself and uh, get the seller to agree to him, if the seller wasn't satisfied with the terms that were being offered by the original purchaser, now the second purchaser comes along, so then if I wouldn't allow the second purchaser to come along, then that's unfair to the seller. He says, that's unfair, so I have to think about the seller. I have to be concerned about the seller. It's like a Hasagas Gvul case, where one person wants to open up a store, the other person already has a store, and the post can say that before the first guy who already has a store can stop the second guy from opening up his store, we have to think about the Lukukos. You have to think about what's good for the consumers. Maybe it's good for the consumers for the second store to open up because maybe it'll have a better product, it'll have a better price. Um, so therefore, that's also part of the consideration. So you have, says the Mordechai in this case as well, by owning a Mafik Bechorara, you have to take into account the Mocher. But that's only if the Mocher indicates that he or she is not yet satisfied with the terms of what the Lokath is offering. But if they are satisfied, so then there's no, then there's no right for somebody else to come along and say, oh, I want to offer more money. Uh, because the seller was satisfied with whatever was offered previously. Um, so there's a case that Rav Sri Yehuda ben Yaakov has, for example, um, that he was a guy in, in Eretz Yisrael, used to be in Haifa, and then he was uh, in, after, now, he's in now, now he's in Tel Aviv, and he wrote a tshuva, this goes back about 24 years ago, Shnasa Tavshin Samech, where uh, there was uh, Ruvain who was trying to buy a, a property, and uh, there was a, an agreement between him and the seller, uh, that uh, he's going to uh, pay a certain price uh, for this property, for this apartment. Then Shimon comes along and Shimon says, well, I know that there's an agreement that basically between the two of them, but I'm willing to pay another $1,000. Would that make me into a Russia when I'm not just uh, going to break up the deal to pay the same amount of money, but I'm going to break up the deal and it's going to be better for the mocher because the mocher is going to get another uh, another $1,000. Now, this is clearly a case that would be problematic according to both Rashi and Rabbeinu Tam because it's a sale transaction. It's a sale transaction. Now, if it's a property that would only be available uh, at this price, at this time, uh, at this location, and otherwise there is no deal like this deal that Shimon would be able to get, so then there is a possibility that according to some postkin, particularly the Mahardach, who's quoted by the Ramah in Simon Reish Lamed Zion, that if there, there is a, some sort of a special real estate deal, that you won't be able to buy anywhere else, so then that might also be considered to be a, a metzia, according to the opinion of Rabbeinu, uh, according to the opinion of Rabbeinu Tam. Um, but either way, um, once you actually uh, have a, uh, if you would actually have a Kenyan, so then there wouldn't be the right to interfere. What are we talking about? We're talking about when you basically had a deal, right? When you basically had a deal. So according to the Maharadach, if it was a one-time opportunity, so then maybe that's like a Mitzia. It happens that the Shach disagrees with the Maharadach and says that even according to Rabbeinu Tam, that only works with a Mitzia. It doesn't work with a purchase, a sale and purchase transaction because that's always considered to be in the realm of Aniyamahapik Pacharava. So you have to worry about, you have to worry about that Shita. Um, but he also says that, uh, let's assume that this is not a, a situation where there would be, that this is a one-time opportunity. That Shimon, if he's willing to pay this extra amount of money, so presumably Shimon has, is a man of means, and he'll be able to find another apartment somewhere else, so that this is a regular case of, of Mecher. 
So he says that uh, we see from the we see from the Mordechai uh, that if there was some sort of a uh, kitzitza, uh, there was uh, some sort of a deal uh, that was reached between the seller and the purchaser, uh, that even if he's offering a sikum gaboa yoser, even if uh, the second purchaser comes along and offers a higher price, uh, that would still be considered uh, to uh, be a violation of aniyamapik b'chorah. Now. There are some who say that it depends upon whether there really would be some sort of a violation on the part of the mocher, the seller. Does the seller ever violate Aniyam Apik Bechorah or is it only the second purchaser who violates it? So there's an Avni Nezer who says that the seller never really violates it. And there's a Shiloh whether the Avni Nezer is correct or the Avni Nezer isn't correct. But at the very least, one of the things that you have to take into consideration is that the seller does have a certain obligation, which is called, and this is discussed in Shulchan Aruch, Reish Dalet, which is called Mechusar Amana. Mechusar Amana means that once you say to somebody, I'm willing to sell this property to you at this price, so if the seller then backs out, the seller is violating uh, the principle that Hinsedek, uh, that when he says something, uh, that you're not supposed to break your word. When you commit to, to uh, selling at a certain price to somebody, you're not supposed to break your word. But there's such a thing as traitory. Traitory means that it could be, and this I have uh, the, uh, the source for you, uh, regarding traitory in page 5 towards the bottom, the Ramah, Simon, Reish, Dalit, Sif, Yudalit. Can a seller back down when there is a sort of a secondary price that's in a totally different galaxy. That's what Tretari means. Tretari means that it's like a totally different market price. Like the market right now varies. Everybody knows that you can sell this piece of real estate between, let's say, 350000 and 450000 and the seller agrees he's going to sell it for 400000 Somebody else comes along, says, I'll pay you 450000 The seller always knew there was a possibility of getting 450000 but he had agreed already he's going to sell to this purchaser for three hundred for, for, uh, for 400000 Maybe because it was an all-cash deal or because he thinks he's an honest fellow, he likes him. Uh, whatever the consider wants to be done already with the, with, with, with the transaction, whatever his uh, thought process is, but it's all part of the same market. So somebody comes along tomorrow and says, I'll give you 450000 so that's Chad Tara. So then it would be Mechus of money for the seller to back out. But let's say what happens is he was willing to sell, the, the seller was willing to sell the property today to the first purchaser for 400000 and tomorrow a developer works it. And the developer says, you know, your property is in an incredibly lucrative location where I can get a zoning building permit to build a five-story, a ten-story building over here, and I'm willing to pay you a million dollars, a totally different market, the developer's market. Up until now, it was basically a landowner's market, and now he's getting traitory, he's getting an offer from a totally different market. So there are many post who would say, even though, the, uh, even though the Ramah himself uh, doesn't side with this uh, point of view, but uh, the Pisgah uh, Koshin points out uh, that uh, there are many others who do side like this point of view, that if it's Tretari, then it would be perfectly legitimate for a seller to back out at that point in time. The Shevet Alevi says uh, that if there's a Hishtanus Gadol, if there's like a huge, huge difference between what the original price was and what this uh, second price is uh, that's uh, now being offered, so it's like an unsed lo it's like uh, so there's so circumstances that could not have been envisioned, uh, that's uh, almost like an onus, uh, like uh, you, uh, you have to excuse somebody for uh, being in a situation of uh, duress or circumstances beyond their control, uh, that of course you it would be reasonable to allow a seller uh, to back out at that point in time. So it could be, it could be, it's just a suggestion that I'm making. I actually haven't seen this explicit. But it could be that based on this principle, so this psaq that Rabbi Yehuda ben Yaakov made about his real estate case only really makes sense perhaps or is only a binding psaq when I'm dealing with a Chad Tara situation where the second purchaser is offering an extra thousand dollars. That was always in the, the, the ballpark. That was always a possibility. But the second purchaser happens to be like some sort of a developer. Comes on out if you're offering you another thousand dollars. I'm offering you another million dollars. I'm offering you another million dollars. So then, since... Under those circumstances, it would be legitimate for the seller to back out, and presumably the seller wouldn't have wanted to enter into the, the transaction in the first place. And based on the reasoning of the Mordechai, uh, that when you don't have a full-fledged deal, you have to worry about the loss that would accrue to the, the, the seller uh, if somebody else would not negotiate and make an offer to the seller. So maybe in this case as well, it would be permissible 
for that second party to come along and say, listen, I, I don't want to necessarily stop you from concluding your deal, but you should just know that I'm offering you a totally different market that you may not have anticipated, and I'm willing to pay you a million dollars, and maybe that wouldn't be a violation of onyamapic record. I'm not sure. Honestly, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm making an equation between the case of, of, of the, the right of the seller to back down and the, the person making this offer under those circumstances. But you could say that since they're offering the, the seller an opportunity that they could not have envisioned, it's almost like an onus type of case, and maybe that would be different. But if I'm not dealing with a totally different market price, I'm just dealing with a higher price within the same range. So then, um, based on the Mordechai, the Mordechai is pretty explicit. Mordechai says, once a deal was struck, so then it would not be proper for somebody else to come along, even to be Mosif Dhamim. Even to be Mosif Dhamim, it would be considered to be a Russia, and presumably, it also would be a Messiah over over Avera, because it would also be causing the Mocha potentially to be by, to violate Mechusim Amana, the principle of Mechusim Amana. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, uh, if a person is a Tzadik Gomer, uh, so maybe the seller would say, when the developer comes along, I'm not going to break my deal with the following person um, because I already entered into a deal. But that might already just be in the realm of Midas Chasidus. We don't necessarily have to assume that a person is going to choose to follow Midas Chasidus because it's not necessarily always mandatory upon everybody why, to follow Midas Chasidus. Why is it stricter on the buyer who's not aware that there's another buyer than it is on the seller who knows that there's another buyer? Well, it, it, it's, and it's also, explain your question but more. Well, you're saying that the buyer shouldn't be doing this. He's not even aware there's another potential no, buyer. No, no, no. Here we're talking about what the buyer does. Here, the, the Gemara had a unique situation of Gidl Rabiapa. Most of the situations are not Gidl Rabiapa. Most of the situations, the second purchaser knows that the first purchaser was in the picture and that there really was a deal that was already struck. But now, if this person's a Russia, then how can the seller be allowed to facilitate the guy being a Russia? No, so I said that maybe in my case where the second person comes along and offers a million dollars because he's a developer, maybe no, he's not a Russian. I'm, just case. So I'm, saying, case. I'm saying it's sort of Hainuhach, that it goes together, uh, that it would be prohibited for the seller to accept the, the offer in a case where the person's acting like a Russian, vice versa. It would be prohibited okay. for this person to make the offer to the seller when it's improper for the seller to back down from the offer that the seller has already, uh, that has already agreed to. Now, the, uh, the, there's, there's a wonderful journal. That, there were a couple of really good journals that were around in the 1990s, uh, that, around the time that I was getting into the Besden world. And then shortly after I got into the Besden world, they figured, okay, we're recess here, so we don't need our journals anymore, uh, or something like that. So both of these journals were, were, were discontinued. Um, one of them was called the Divrei Mishpah Journal, wonderful journal. It existed for about four years. It had articles from Rabbi Leibish Landesman, Rabbi Tzvi Garten, Rabbi Chaim Kohn, all kinds of really wonderful day on him. Another one is the Meshuk Halacha. Meshuk Halacha, we could source 34. That's a journal that was produced by the Machon Lahira Yeshiva in, in Mansi, which had a Bezdin, Machon Lahira Bezdin, and a Yeshiva that was sort of attached to the Bezdin. They put out a journal, maybe 20 issues or so over a four or five year period. Really wonderful journals. I don't know why they discontinued the journal. But they had one journal, which is Gilya Yud Zayin, which was dedicated to some of these Aniyamahapik Bakharava questions. He had the following very interesting Shiloh. Mishemiyak Modah Machoni, it's a car. Somebody puts a moda, they put a, a sign up on a car. Shalom the Mechira, there's like a big sign. It says, this car is for sale. And Ruben comes along to the car owner. And they work out a price. Can Shimon now come along and add to the price or not? It looks like Ruben has struck a deal with the owner of the car. Now, I would say, according to the Mordechai, once a deal is struck, a deal is struck. And that's the end of the story, right? Mm-hmm. So it said, they say, no, it's not true. Because for the seller to have agreed to the deal, that means that the seller did two things. It means that the seller said, yes, I agree to your price, and he takes down the sign. But if the seller doesn't take down the sign, then he is signaling, even to the person who made the offer, that, that this offer is not, that, that this deal is not a solid deal. Because if it was a solid deal, and I trusted in this deal, I would take down the sign. But if the for sale sign is still up, whether for the car or whether for a property, that means that the deal is not open. Somebody else can come along and can offer a higher price. A very, very fascinating shot. That, that's what they say. Look at the shuvah. Because the Isra is only when the Lokeach is going to shake the Mokha up from the Mokha's decision to sell from, to the first fellow. But if the Mokha himself is sort of ambivalent. The Sokha and Mokha himself is a kind of not 100% committed because the Haraya, that he left the sign up, he left the sign up saying for sale. So then it no longer has the Din of Mahapik So I ask, 
the question, that's a big Kiddush, I think, it's a big Kiddush, but I understand it on some level, because you could say the Mocha hasn't agreed to the deal, he left the sign up. What if the Mocha changes the sign? Yesterday the sign said, for sale. Now this today the sign says, in contract. It says in contract. You ever see that? Pending. There are such signs. Pending. Pending, right. Let's say it says pending, pending contract. So, is that worse? Like, do we say that that means that basically there is a deal and you should not interfere? Whereas pending contract, also sort of an invitation. Well, pending contract, but we don't quite yet have a contract. I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not 100% sure. I would think that if you no longer have the for sale sign up there, so pending contract is a signal. Uh, I don't know why you would want to tempt anybody, but maybe it's a signal to say, hey, be warned, we're already in Oniamopic Bakura territory. And therefore, you better not make another offer. But then I don't know why there's any sign up there. Uh, but, but presumably, that's a, once it says it's pending so contract, so then really you should not interfere at that point in time. That's what I would think. That's what I would there's think. There's another level, for example, let's say uh, you're selling a property and you have an offer. It goes back and forth, but you, you, have, a, you have a price. But I've seen situations where, all right, you have an agreement on the price, but then there's an inspection. And I've seen deals fall apart because after the inspection, they want to do this. They want yes, to do that. sure, but that's when but you find out that the deal is falling apart. But then the, the seller puts the for sale sign back on the property because the because the negotiations fell apart, and then there's no shyla anymore. Or but the seller. But if it says pending contract, so then you have to assume that basically there is a deal and it would be worked out. Now we don't ask in according to most postkim, although Ramosha here too seems to disagree. But according to most postkim, we don't hold like the pre-show. The preacher said that if I, even I don't have a closed deal, it's just that if I leave the seller and the first purchaser to uh, their own devices, eventually they'll come up with a deal. Eventually they'll be able to come to terms with each other. The preacher says that's also enough for it to be off limits to somebody else. But the preacher, when he got to the smock, as I was trying, as I was about to say before, when he got to the smock, he uh, he dropped the preacher. He no longer mentioned this. And others say it was a minog that he was mentioning, and that minog didn't really last. And it didn't really make it to the halacha, so therefore we don't really follow the preacher. It has to be a done deal. It has to be a done deal. The Yerucha Shulchan has a little bit of a compromise. The Yerucha Shulchan says, yeah, if there's a sort of a, uh, an opportunity to buy something, and uh, you see that there's one person negotiating, but the seller hasn't given in to that person, uh, so uh, then uh, if there isn't like plenty of other opportunities, uh, so you should leave them to their own devices. But it's a busy marketplace. It's like a busy marketplace, and if you don't buy from this particular vendor, you can go to the next vendor who is uh, in the, the next booth. So then he says, leave the people alone to finish the negotiation, and because they'll probably come to terms, and then you shouldn't interfere under those circumstances. Very interesting pshara that the Yorok HaShokans ha- has, uh, maybe based on sort of the Metziah uh, Mecher um, uh, distinction. But you should know in this Metziah Mecher distinction that the Machava quotes both shitos. The Machava quotes uh, the shita of Rabbeinu Tam, uh, namely that if it's a metziah, uh so then you're allowed to interfere even when it looks like there's a, basically a deal as long as there hasn't been a Kenyan, um, uh, but not when it's a mecha. And then he quotes the sheet of Rashi that even if it's a metziah, you shouldn't interfere. And it's a question, the Mechava quotes two opinions, which is the real opinion that he holds like. So here, the first opinion says V'yeshomim, the second opinion says V'yeshomim. So it's not like a stam and Yeshomim. He didn't study V'yeshomim, V'yeshomim, there's a Yad Malachi that says you followed the second Yeshomim. So therefore, there are a number of Sephardic poskim who say that really the Machabah holds so like Rashi and you should be Machmir in all instances. It's very, very interesting. And some say, no, that's only if he said Yeshomim and then B'yeshomim. But here he said B'yeshomim and B'yeshomim. The first one's also started with above and then you follow the first Shita. So it's a Machok, it's exactly how the Machabah held. But the Ramah, the Ramah clearly holds like Rabbeinu Tam. The Ramah is very preferish that you hold like Rabbeinu Tam. If it's just the Messiah, there's room to be, there's room to be Mekel. And even the Machaber, in the next Halacha, the next Halacha, he talks about how if it, there is a Torah teacher that's a working for a particular Baal he's tutoring the child, and nowadays the equivalent example would be a Torah teacher was hired to teach in a school, in a yeshiva, and there's another yeshiva that comes along and says, this is the Torah teacher that we need. We're not going to be able to find anybody else as good as this individual, so they have the right to snatch away that individual. Uh, the Nesiva says, assuming that he didn't uh, enter into a contract already, there's no binding contract, they just reached an agreement in terms of terms, although it doesn't sound that way. It's based on the Tosos in Kiddushan, Ta'af and Nuntes, it sounds like they already do have a Kenyan, uh, if you read Tosos, but 
the Siva says that doesn't make any sense because you certainly can't interfere if there's a contractual arrangement already. It means if it's an oniomopic Makara situation where they reached uh, an agreement in terms, so then you're allowed to go snatch away that person. And the Makara Paskins, like that Shita, which was articulated by Tosos, so says the a number of the poskim, so we see from here that even the Machaber may have quoted both Shitos in Sif Aleph in Simon Reish Laman Zayim, but by the time he got to Sif Base in Simon Reish Laman Zayim, he was basically signaling that he was poskining like Rabbeinu Tam and not like Rashi, and the Yorcha Shulchan says, nah, not necessarily, it's what the Smas seems to say, but the Yorcha Shulchan says not necessarily, it could be that the case of Malamit is different because maybe if it's a mitzvah case, so then we'd be more mekel, according to the Machaber. If they hear when you're trying to snatch away a Malami, like a good Rebbe, so getting a good Rebbe is in order to fulfill the mitzvah of Talmud Torah, especially if it's a father who's, who's grabbing the Malami to teach his son, he has a mitzvah chiyubis. He has an absolute, he has an absolute obligation to teach his son Torah. So if it is a, to fulfill a mitzvah obligation, so then if it's a mitzvah, we'd be mekel according to Machab in that case, but not necessarily in non-mitzvah uh, scenarios. All of this... It's a nice argument, but here the whole thing is a mitzvah, having a Rebbe. So, and not everybody accepts it that if you assume like the Sma, there's no real distinction between a mitzvah and a mitzvah. He just says, so we see from here, the Machabah holds like a Rabbeinu Tam across the board. you're taking the teacher away from somebody else yeah. who had a mitzvah to have a teacher. Uh, what? You're taking the, the teacher away from somebody else. No, but else might say that this is, the, that you can determine that this is a Rebbe, that only this Rebbe is going to teach your, your, your son properly. So it's, therefore, it's like a mitzvah. You have no right to break the contract. I mean, some say what the Machabah was talking about is where really the contractual arrangement did begin. Because he says the Malamid is already Babayas, he's already in the house, you know, so it sounds like he's already, you know, teaching, uh, te- teaching the child. At least that's the, um, the previous case. He speaks about how one Malamid is not allowed to hire himself or promote himself to the Balabas to say, oh, hire me instead of this other fellow if the fellow is already, uh, is already Babayas. Um, so maybe this case where we see the, uh, where the Tosos goes, where Tosos continues, Let's take a look at the case uh, inside. This is uh, the uh, case uh, Tosos talks about it. Anun Tesavet Al, because of Rabbeinu Yitzchak. Take a look, it's on the top of page two. The Kanir Moreno Arab Yitzchak, She'asum Malamin, Haskar Asum, the Babai, She'asum Malamin, Akad Beveso. The one Malamin is not allowed, that's the Animapic Vakolava. This one Rebbe is already teaching. So the second Rebbe can't say, oh, hire me instead, because uh, that's the Animapic Vakolava. Let him go somewhere else. Unless the Balabais already says that I'm planning to fire the first Malamid. So that's a different story. But if the Balabais had hired somebody, so then the other Balabais is allowed to come along and he's allowed to hire that second Malamid. And the first Balabayas can't say, oh, go and find yourself a different Malamid. Because he could say that my son will not be able to learn me Malamid Acher. He's not going to be able to This person's going to teach my son better than another Malamid. Um, so uh, there's a question as to what the cases are talking about exactly. Why is there a difference between the Balabayas who has the right to hire away the Malamid, and one Malamid is not allowed to say, oh, hire me instead of the first Malamid. The answer is because the Balabayas is, uh, does not have a, a profit incentive. It's a pure mitziah. It's not like making a business deal that he's going to get paid money for it or something. It's a pure mitziah that he's doing it only for the mitzvah, uh, basically, of uh, being able to teach his, uh, teach his son Torah. As opposed to the first Malamid is doing it basically to make a living, so therefore you don't have the same mitzvah incentive. And secondly, the Balabayas has a mitzvah to teach his son. Well, this Malamid doesn't have to teach it this guy's son. The Malamid can teach somebody else's son. So therefore, that's a distinction between uh, between the two cases. Uh, one case is considered to be a case of mecher, and the other case is considered to be a case of mitziah. The, the first Malamid could really uh, teach up, could really teach somebody else. Um, so some say that while it's true that the Malamed is not allowed to snatch away the employment of the second Malamed, if you do have a situation where you know that the contractual term is going to end at a certain point in time, so the first Malamed could say to the Balabayas, you know when you finish your contractual term with the second Malamed, so I would like you to hire me at that point in time. 
So take a look at Rabbi Akiva Eger, source 27 on page 8. This is in Simon Reish Lamed Zion. So he says that, um, uh, about a second line, If the Balabayas hired the Malamed for a set period of time, if the second Malamed is not snatching away the first Malamed during his employment period, but he just says, when the employment period ends, so I know that you haven't struck a deal to hire him for a second term, so I want to be hired for the second term, um, rather than you're rehiring this guy, that would be okay, unless the Malamid is in, like, out in the wilderness somewhere, where there aren't any other options, where it's quite clear that if somebody else did not interfere, the Balabayas would keep the Malamid on for another year, for another term, so then it would be awesome under those circumstances. And here, you have a lot of discussion under what circumstances does a person who's a Malamid have a right to market himself to a school, for example, for a particular job when there's already somebody in the job. So if the practice in the school is that generally speaking, when the uh, contractual period ends, the Rebbe will be rehired, so then it falls into sort of the second category of what Rabbi Kivayga talks about when there's an expectation of rehiring, then you have no right to say, oh, hire me instead when this person's term ends. But if you don't know, like presumably some people will stay on, some people won't, and you're not looking to, to put yourself in a particular grave, particular position, you just say, listen, I'm available if you have any positions that become open, so you should just know that I'm available in general, but you're not angling for a particular position, so then the post can say that probably would be okay. That probably would be okay. So you have to assess very carefully all of these different, all of these different situations. So again, uh, going back uh, to this machlokis between Rashi and Rabbeinu Tam, so I said it comes up in the context of Shiduchim. So Ramosha Feinstein asked the question. He says, this is on page 4, Simon, um, uh, source 17, Chelek Alv, Simon, Sadi Alv, and Ebenezer. Says Ramosha, Somebody is engaged to a particular girl, and, and there's another fellow who wants uh, to, um, who wants to snatch her away. Okay, Ruben's engaged to the girl, and Shimon wants to grab the girl away for himself. He's also interested in marrying her. Is there a din of Ani Mahapik Bacharora? Is this a din of Ani Mahapik Bacharora or that? I seem to recall that my grandmother told me that she was, now again, it's hard to remember all the details, but she was engaged, I think. I don't know if she was actually engaged and she was about to be engaged. I'm not 100% sure. We'll see from Moshe's Chuba, there's a big Nafkamina. But she indicated she was engaged to a particular person. My grandfather came onto the scene and she said, I, I need to marry this girl. There's nobody else who's right for me. It's quite clear that this is the girl that I need to marry. And I, clearly she has to break her engagement or break her commitment to this other fellow because how else is she going to marry me? So my grandfather, um, who was at that point already a burgeoning successful uh, accountant, so he was a good catch, uh, so uh, my grandfather said, I'm sorry, you have to marry me. And he was also, you know, a strong-minded Russian. He, was only, he wasn't going to give up so quickly. So he said, you have to marry me. And my grandmother said, okay, I guess so. So if I have to marry, I have to marry. So she told him, I'm sorry, but, you know, he tells me I have to marry him, so I have to break up the engagement. Um, so the other fellow uh, tried to convince my grandmother that she should go back to him and not break up the engagement because he said that this other fellow was a Cohen, apparently. So he said, you know, that if you marry him and if you marry me and it doesn't work out, you can always go to him afterwards. But if you marry him and it doesn't work out, you won't be able to go back to me. So <laughs> I remember my grandmother telling me that story. But there's a question. So Moshe uh, talks about, but she married my grandfather anyway. Okay, but Baruch Hashem. The fact so, that yeah. Well, he talks about the different scenarios. That's exactly what he said. He, he says, it depends. He says, if they haven't yet decided, they're just kind of like going out and it's all very serious and it looks like it's going to head towards the shidduch. They're going to perhaps make an announcement very, very soon. It looks like it's heading very clearly in that direction, but they have not yet sealed the deal. They haven't announced and shul, oh, so-and-so is engaged. They haven't made a little l'chaim. None of those things happen yet. They're just sort of talking about it. They're heading in that direction. So he says, well, it's a, uh, in this particular case, he says that it's quite clear that it's, uh, there's, no actual, uh, there's no actual deal on the table. So since there is no actual deal on the table, uh, so then, uh, and it would be a, a tremendous hepsaid to this fellow not to get the girl uh, that he would want to, uh, that he would want to marry. Uh, so in this particular case, he says that it's even good for the girl. Uh, potentially, because maybe the girl will really want the second guy, and why should you deprive her? It's like the Mordechai who says, why deprive the Mocher? It could be that uh, this girl will be interested in this other fellow, so under those circumstances, where it's not Pasku Domin Benem, 
They have not yet sealed the deal. The Ramah has that lashon based on the based on the Mordechai. So he says that uh, in this case uh, as well, it would be permissible for the second person to angle in and see if the, the girl would be interested in marrying him. Okay, but then he says that uh, because it's a hefseit for the girl too, that she'd be forced to marry the first guy. Maybe she'd be interested in marrying the second guy. But if they already basically agreed to finish to complete the shidduch, um, even if though they didn't make a, a kinyan per se, so then he says that it's a dependent upon the machlokis between Rashi and Tosos. That according to um, Rashi and Rabbeinu Tam, according to Rashi, there's an iser of mahapik v'charorah even for a metziah, and according to Rabbeinu Tam, a girl is a metziah. You're not going to find the, the same girl somewhere else. Like you could say, oh, don't marry this, but find another, many fish in the sea. But every single, but to find the right girl is not such a simple thing. That's considered to be more of a mitzvah. It's not like a piece of property where it doesn't matter whether it's this property or a different property. So he says that a girl is more like a mitzvah, and therefore, according to Rabbeinu Tam, it would be okay, and according to Rashi, it would not be okay. But he says that if you did make a kinyan, a kinyan would be in the olden days. They used to have like the tanayim. I mean, we still have tanayim, but they would have tanayim with like a knas. And a cherem, they would have like a real kinyan in the course of the engagement. So then he says that because of the cherem, that you would put like an excommunication and somebody would break a shidduch. So then that is, since it would be an iser to break the shidduch under those circumstances, so based on the cherem, it would be improper for somebody else to insinuate themselves. And since it's a cherem, so then that would also present, says Ramosheh, an iser of aniyamahapik b'chorobah. So if you look at the very last paragraph, he summarizes as follows. It says, If they haven't yet gone out on their last day to agree that they're going to get engaged, so then somebody else can come along. But once they've already come to the point where they're ready to announce their engagement, um, but they haven't actually done it yet. In other words, like you see that the people are about to get engaged, but they just haven't done it. Um, so then, so then it's dependent upon the, the machlokis, but uh, the, if you hold like the Ramah, it would be uh, it would be a mutter uh, because he holds like Rabbeinu Tam, and if you hold like Rashi, so then it would be Yasser. Abal, but then he adds something else. But then he says that if you do know that they were huskam, that they basically have sealed the deal, that they have agreed that they're going to make the kingdom, they've agreed that they're going to get married. He says the chatzchiva. You should be machmer for the sheet of Rashi. The chatzchila, you should be machmer for the sheet of Rashi. It's interesting because that the chatzchila following Rashi is the one place where the sma says and the post can say it actually makes a difference whether you're dealing with a poor person or a rich person. Because you said a poor person, that's the case. Normally, every person is either poor or rich for purposes of these halachos. Now, here, the sma says if I was dealing with a real estate transaction, so then you don't have to be machmer, even as a midas chasidas or the opinion of Rashi. If the first person is a really a rich guy, if the first person is really a rich guy and he's running after a Metziah, so then, and then somebody who's a poor person wants the Metziah, that poor person, even according to Rashi, would be allowed to overtake up the, the rich guy because the rich guy doesn't need the Metziah. The rich guy could buy for the diamond, could, 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 could buy this a precious diamond. Now, he can afford it. He can find it, you know, in other ways. So then, the halakha wouldn't apply. But when it comes to finding the girl of your dreams, everybody's a pauper, right? Even a poor tail is entitled to a little happiness. Everybody's a pauper when it comes up to this particular Indian. And therefore, we wouldn't have that particular, we wouldn't have that particular distinction. Now, the Maharshal says there's something else to play when it comes to Shidduchim. He says all is fair in love and war. Um, when it comes to Shidduchim, he says there's a mitzvah of getting married. Remember how we said that there are, there's more latitude when you're dealing with a mitzvah? So he says that there's a case in the, the, the Gemara, the Gemara starts, the Mishnah in Kiddushin and the Gemara over there in Daf Nun Chesam and Beis is all uh, talking about uh, in a scenario where a person sends a shliach to marry a particular girl and the shliach marries the girl for himself. So he said that's not a nice thing to do. So the Marashal says, you know what, it's nice, not a nice thing to do. It's not a nice thing to do. This is the Marashal here, the Chakma Shlokom Shlomo. says, it's not a nice thing to do because if you're a shliach and you undertook a certain agency, so you shouldn't betray the agency in order to take the item for yourself. Whether it's a, whether it's merchandise or whether it's a woman, it's just not a nice thing to do. You shouldn't do that. 
But he said that, that if the person's not a shliach, that's a different story. Third line. Since that's not like a case of uh, Look at the next line. Even according to Rashi, who's mocked by even by Metzia, Metzia Shapira Shkara Shalhevka, Pilaki Notel the Chalik to be Kiddushin Shari. When it comes to love, it comes to Kiddushin. That's Mutter, um, not because of all's fair in love and war per se, but because all's fair in the mitzvah, Priya Veribia, because you're fulfilling the mitzvah of Priya Veribia. So when it comes to a mitzvah, so he says even Rashi would be Mako, similar to the Machaber, who ruled uh, that even if you assume that he really passed him like Rashi, he said that for the mitzvah of teaching your child Torah, you're allowed to snatch away a Torah teacher. It would be appropriate for uh, your child. So we see the same idea with respect to the Marashal. So according to the Marashal, it would follow that even if they basically had agreed that they're going to get married, they just hadn't made the Kenyan yet, they hadn't made the Tanayim yet, or Moshe says that nowadays that we don't have Tanayim, so as soon as they announce the engagement, it's, the, it's effectively the same thing. Um, so then it would certainly be uh, too late then. Um, uh, but even if they, uh, so, so up until you get to that point for sure, even if you know that they basically sealed the deal, the Chachma Shlomo indicates that you would be allowed to interfere under those circumstances because of the fact that it, there's a mitzvah involved. Interesting. Moshe Sternbach, in source 20, says uh, that he kind of goes in the opposite direction. He says that if I'm dealing with Haredim, he says there's a difference between Haredim and those modernishes in America. He says if I'm dealing with a bona fide Haredim, okay, like my type of Haredim, here in Arasiswa, whatever, I'm dealing with bona fide Haredim, so he says that they don't have dates. They don't have the dates of the, of the, of the young men, meaning the young women, unless the parents have already checked things out very, very thoroughly. They've made like the 20 calls to all the references and they've made sure they've dotted every single line, crossed every T, to ensure that these, that this couple is absolutely perfect for each other. And then when they meet each other, it's just basically pro forma at that point in time. So he says that even if there hasn't been a, like a, fina- a finalization of uh, the shidduch in terms of uh, the chassan and the kala per se, um, that would be good enough that, to, that once the dates have the date has been arranged, that somebody else should not interfere at that point in time. Take a look at the third paragraph there. And then it's already basically a sealed deal that it's going to happen once the parents have agreed that, that the young man and young woman will meet each other. Then forget about the fact that, that another person wouldn't be allowed to come along and try to woo the uh, the girl. Um, but even a shotgun would not be allowed to uh, to suggest somebody else. But according to those you know modern uh, movements that I've heard about in America, especially in America, if you can imagine such a thing that you have the young men and young women like, like they're deciding for themselves. But only after they go out with each other, only then do the parents get involved. Have you ever heard of such a thing? Only afterwards the parents get involved. And it, the fact that they are being set up with each other doesn't really mean anything. They're only dating, so then, yes, you could certainly suggest other people. Even though that's not the way of our forefathers, uh uh-uh. No. But nonetheless, we come back on the name of Nicola Russia, Kim Shitsiake, but in terms of calling somebody Russia because you suggest somebody else, so that wouldn't be applicable to those situations. It's interesting because Rabbi Yosef Fleischman wrote beautifully on these issues. So he writes that he doesn't agree. He doesn't agree because he thinks that even Haredish circles, the boy and the girl have to decide that they like each other. If they don't like each other, so then it's not going to go through. We don't say that it's considered as if it's basically completed just because the Shidduch has been made, even if the parents did a lot of investigation. Unless he says, we're not dealing with a Haredim, or we're dealing with a Hasidim. Oh, Hasidim, different story. But they only have the young man and the young woman meet after basically the shidduch has been completely sealed. So then you can argue that you're ready, you would be a situation running ma'apik b'chorah. But otherwise, otherwise not. But as we said, according to the Marashal, would not be applicable to the Shidduchim altogether. According to Ramosha, be machlokus between Rashi and Rabbeinu Tam. And the Chatzkidah, you should be machlokus for Shittas Rashi, but Meikar Din, according to Rabbeinu Tam, one would be allowed to interfere even at that, even at that point in time. Rav Tzvi Yehuda ben Yaakov, who we mentioned before, in another essay that he had on the subject, so he says that in this particular case, when it comes to Shidduchim, 
he says that, that we would definitely not apply the principle of the Prisha. What was the principle of the Prisha that we mentioned earlier? The principle of the Prisha was that even if they haven't sealed the deal, but they're sort of in talks with each other, and we know that if they leave, we leave the purchase, the prospective purchaser and the prospective seller to their own devices and nobody else interferes, they'll come to a deal, so then you're not supposed to interfere. We said there's a question whether we pass like the Prisha, most of them say we don't. And uh, even the Prisha himself, in the Sma, didn't quote what he said in the Prisha, but Ramosha and some others have said that you should be Koshesh for the Prisha. So he says when it comes to Shiduchim, says what's to you, the Ben Yaakov, you certainly don't have to be Koshesh for the Prisha. He says why? Even the Kosev Mecca Komemka, Sheesh Benem Rakin because if I'm dealing with a sale of a property, I'm dealing with a lease of a car, something like that, so it's sort of like an objective thing that everybody knows what the drill is. You say this, I say that, we, we, you ask for this term, I agree to pay you to, to give that term, um, but we all sort of know what the compromise is going to be, and it's just sort of like a standard drill that you go through with a piece of property or a car, because it's not anything which is special or extraordinary or unique, and you follow a certain, a certain drill, a certain script. So we don't allow somebody else to interfere. Um, which is not the case um, when it comes to Shidukim. There are so many things. They have to be worked out when it comes to a ship. You can be so close, and then the whole thing can fall apart. We know that. We see it all the time when it comes to Shidukim. Come on. So suddenly one will fall out of love that they loved each other, now they hate each other. So here, the whole din of the preaching of the Arachashuk says if they're in the marketplace um, and then you don't interfere, here you would be allowed to interfere up until the last moment. But when it really comes to the point in which they're holding by getting engaged, so then we basically would follow the approach of emotion that we say at that point in time it's not really appropriate to interfere and we'll stop your question. Yes. It is considered to be a dine mominus, but dine mominus does not apply to dine mominus. When I have a transaction between two Jews, I say the first you follow the dine hatora. It's not a sweeping broad economic regulation that would be binding upon us. So, no, I think we need to first look at that one. Yeah. You know, when the, the, the thing with the, the real estate, for example, we have, an, we have 